Hey there, it's Dr. Nazanin Mo'oli, and I want to chat with you about a key ingredient for a fabulous date night, feeling sexy. And come on, let's be real. What you wear plays a big part in how you rock that confidence. That's why I'm thrilled to introduce you to Quince. Quince brings you premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts starting at just $30, along with washable silk tops, 40-carat gold jewelry, and more. And guess what? All of their goodies are priced 50 to 80% lower than similar brands. By teaming up directly with top factories, Quince skipped the middleman and hands us the saving. Plus, they stick to factories with safe, ethical practices and top-notch fabrics and finishes. How awesome is that? Picking from Quince's website was tough because they have a ton of fabulous choices. I ended up going for their 100% washable silk sleep dress in champagne. And let me tell you, my husband was floored. He's convinced whoever rocks this is in for a blast. I'm going to record some content on that dress so you can see how fabulous is that dress. Elevate your date night style with Quince. Pop over to quince.com slash sexology for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's quince.com slash sexology to get free shipping and 365-day returns. quince.com slash sexology. Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Welcome back to another insightful episode in our Sex Bucket List series. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. I'm thrilled to have Melanie, distinguished sex researcher and men's coach, join us today. Holding a master's degree from Stanford, Melanie's work has received notable acclaim and has been featured in prominent platforms like Today Show, HuffPost, Forbes, Business Insider, and more. She is passionate about guiding men who have sex with women to flourish in the arenas of dating, relationships, and love. In this episode, we delve into a vital yet often overlooked part of fulfilling your desires clear, open communication with your partner. Many of you guys, since the start of this series, reached out to me and voiced your concern about expressing your needs and how to talk to your partner. And I assure you, you're not alone in this struggle. That's why I wanted to have Melanie as part of this series. Melanie's research provides unique insight into this topic. She conducted a thought-provoking study Asking over 3,000 people in your last relationship, did you talk to your partner about things that you weren't working for you sexually? If not, why not? Today, she's here to share her pearl of wisdom from this groundbreaking study. Together, we'll explore intriguing questions about male insecurity in sexual performance, disparities in sexual desire, men's understanding of their own sexual health, and societal norms influence on sexual issues. I promise you this conversation will be as enlightening as it is engaging. And for those wondering how to add a little zest to their sex life, we have an exclusive offer. We invite you to download our free bucket list checklist, which you'll find in the show notes. 
This checklist is bringing the idea to spice things up. So sit back, relax, and let's talk about how we can transform those bucket list dreams into reality. Remember, it's just not about crossing items off a list, but also about enriching your intimate life. Get ready to start a thrilling conversation. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited to welcome Melanie Curtin to our show. Melanie, welcome to our show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Very excited. I am very excited for our conversation as well. When I got the email from your assistant, I was reading about this study that you've done and I was fascinating. So it seems like you interviewed 3,000 people for the study. So tell us more about that study. Yeah. So what I did was I wrote an article. I'm a writer by trade and I wrote an article called My Top Three Sex Problems as a Woman. I embedded a survey at the end because I was curious to hear from both men and women and non-binary people, just all humans, about their sex lives and particularly kind of issues that they were having in their sex lives and how they addressed it or didn't address it with their partner. So I have found it very difficult to to talk about sex with a partner in the past. And I was wondering how many people that was true for. And I was also wondering, because I'm a woman, I'm a woman who has sex with men, and I talked to my women friends about it. I was also tangentially wondering how many men are good in bed. So how many men who have sex with women are good in bed? I was terribly interested in this as a research question. So all of these questions were included in a pretty comprehensive survey that I embedded at the end of that article. The article went viral and I got a lot of survey respondents. And then I wrote some other pieces and embedded other surveys in those. So that's kind of how I've I've brought in a lot of my participants. And then I think some of the research that we'll talk about today was from that primary survey, but I've I've woven in research from other of my surveys as well. Fascinating. As we're talking about this, I was wondering how how did you define being good in bed? Yeah, so I did I didn't define it. It was defined as the subjective experience of that survey participant. So and I think a lot of the research that we're gonna talk about today is focused on women who have sex with men and men who have sex with women. So just to put that out there, all kinds of people responded to my surveys. I do have information on the queer community and everything. And that was kind of, that's sort of the perspective that that I'm taking to share this particular research. So it was whatever that woman decided was good and better. So I didn't really say what was good. For example, there was no research question about, did you have an orgasm? Because for a lot of women, that's not a requirement of good sex, for example, or how good a man is in bed. You know, one of the things I joke about is what men think makes a man good in bed is not what women say when I ask them about men who are good in bed. So for example, less than 1% of women talked about a man having a good body. That was not important. Less than 3% talked about him being hard all the time. That was not important. And less than 5% talked about penis size. So 95% of women did not talk about penis size when they were talking about men who were good in bed. So I think one of the things that's been really gratifying and a joy to me in my work is sort of reassuring men and teaching men. And, you know, I have a course called Please Her in Bed based on my sex research. And a lot of men have said, wow, this is actually really reassuring. Like, I can do this because this is not, <laughs> this is not beyond my capabilities. So I think there's, I'm pretty passionate about kind of writing some myths because I think that our culture puts a lot of pressure on men around sex and sexuality that actually when you're looking at women who have sex with men, 
that's not actually what's important to them. So accurate, even based on the conversation I have with my clients and also our listeners of this show. I know many men, because of the marketing that's out there and all of this marketing money that's spent on number of different supplements and stuff, they're so focused on how can I increase the size of my penis and how can I be thinner or leaner? Because those are the two things that you would need in order to get any woman. And it's interesting that it wasn't congruent with what women reported this anonymous survey, right? Because people think about maybe my partner is just saying that, but like your survey was anonymous. Yes, I joke that it's sort of like the confessional because it's anonymous and confidential. And one of the survey questions I asked, for example, was, what do you wish you could have told a past partner about the sex with no sugar coating? And so many of us are kind of hedging our hedging our words or trying not to offend the other person. And one of the big, big, big findings in my research was when I asked people about why didn't you tell a partner the truth, the word feelings came up. Well, I didn't want to hurt his feelings or I didn't want to hurt her feelings. And this preoccupation with that, which we'll probably talk more about, means that we're often not telling the truth and not sharing our actual experience. But I get the real truth, right? And so in that question of what do you wish you could have told a partner with no sugar coating, I got a lot of those responses. And they, you know, there was a big range of them. But it was interesting because like most of the time, these subjects that we're talking about, right, penis size or saying hard, things like that, didn't come up at all, right? They weren't even mentioned. Or if they were mentioned, it was, we have talked about this a few times. I need you to address it. It was more about wanting some effort or wanting some communication or just wanting more more engagement around the topic, not I need you to be hard all the time. It wasn't about that. It was more like I want to be in partnership with you around this and I'm I'm feeling a little abandoned or I don't feel like we're really both working on it kind of thing. What were some of the things that people were holding back about sharing? Great question. So most of my research that I was that I was focused on was on women's responses. So what were women saying about what they wanted more of from their men or was reasons that they that they let's say ended a relationship. And that was one of the surprising findings to me was that when I asked people, have you ever ended a relationship because of sex? I thought that more men would say yes than women, because I've kind of been trained in our culture as we all have that sex is really important to men, you know, they really need it. And so I thought, oh, well, definitely more men will will answer yes to this. 49% of men said, yes, I've ended a relationship because of the sex, including marriages. And I thought, oh, yeah, then the women's number will be like 25%, 29%. It turned out it was more. It was 61% of women have ended a relationship because of the sex, which I found very surprising. And some of the things that they said in terms of the sugar coating was what you're doing hurts actually. And it when I asked people about top sex problems, it turned out that women's number one sex problem was pain. So, and I'm not just talking about intercourse. I think when we use the word sex, we're often co- correlating that with intercourse. But one of the research findings that was repeated across all women was many men use too much pressure with their hands, with their mouths, and with their cocks. And I think this is because a lot of sex is being modeled on porn and porn is actually doesn't look pleasurable for a lot of women the way that 
porn is, is happens. But women repeatedly said things like, I need, I need it to be softer. I need it to be, I need the pressure to be lighter. I need it to feel, feel better for me. You, you, you kind of want more sex from me and I would have more sex with you if it felt more pleasurable to me. But I've told you a few times I need it to be a different way and you haven't listened. That was something that came up a few times was I asked people, have you ever tried to talk to a partner about these things? If so, how did it go? If not, why not? And many women sort of said like, yes, I've tried. And he's adjusted for about two minutes. And then he's gone back to the way that he does it. And I haven't asked again because I didn't want to seem like a nag. And that's been my personal experience as well as I have sometimes spoken up with partners, particularly about pain, like, oh, ow, like the way that you're fingering me actually hurts. And then my clitoris is numb or my vulva is kind of like, not damaged, but bruised, a little bit bruised. And so then everything else doesn't feel as good. But I don't want to come across as a bitch. I don't want to come across as demanding. I don't want to come across as unlikable. Like I want you to like me. So I'll just swallow my truth. I'll just not tell you that what what is happening hurts. I'll just grin and bear it. Or if I do tell you, I'll be really subtle about it. And if you adjust for a little while, but then go back to the what you were doing, which is very common, I'll feel kind of like, well, what's the point? What it like? So I think there's a lot. I work primarily with men who have sex with women. And in my work with men, and part of what my course teaches is actually how men can invite women forward to tell them more of the truth. Because what the research showed more than anything was that women are holding back. Women are telling men the truth about their sexual experience because we don't want to hurt his feelings or have him feel shut down or like he's not, he's not doing it right. Cause that's terrifying. If I, if I quote unquote criticize him, I'm scared that he'll leave, like he'll withdraw or he'll attack me. Those were sort of some of the main fears around like, why am I not telling this man? Like there were a lot of women, myself included, who kind of quietly exited relationships instead of really engaging and saying, I need this to be different or actually it kind of hurts. What you're doing kind of hurts because how scary is that to say? And then how how much, you know, how is that to receive? Like it would be, I think, quite shocking, especially if you've been having sex with someone for a while. It's almost like if you haven't said it for the first few months and now you're saying it, what's the response going to be, right? The risks actually go up over time as we're in more connection, as we're in connection with each other even more. So many interesting things you brought up with especially around pain. That was a challenge I had and that's how I entered the realm of sexual sex therapy. I didn't know when I was a graduate student, that's the thing. And based on my experience, sometimes I think people are, I can talk about my own experience of feeling ambivalent, right? About how to speak up about it, that like, you know, maybe the it gets better and also feeling ambivalent about pleasure. How much of it matters, how much I can exercise my voice. And with men, you're right, this jackhammering strategy of intercourse is not, it's not leading our partners to climax or experience more pleasure or arousal. And I think even there needs to be a pacing that we have talked about in the episode, previous episodes about it. But I hear that what made it challenging for many women, this kind of like negotiation and exploration of how much I can share with my partner, right? Like how much it will be well received. And I think also it's an art to how to give sexy feedback, right? When to give it, how to say it, 
So I think all of those that can make the situations very complicated. And oftentimes, no one taught us to talk about sex or give any critical feedback. So of course, it's easiest to leave the relationship. So that completely makes sense. I know your study also talked about people feeling insecure about their performance. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So when I asked women what their top sex problems were, pain was number one. And then right below that was trouble orgasming. That was a huge problem on women's side. And then on the men's side, one of the number one ones was premature ejaculation, erectile dysfunction, and some delayed ejaculation. And that was either number one or number two. And then, the, so both of them were quite close. And then the, the second one for men was, I'm hungry or I'm thirsty. Like, I need more. I need more. I feel deprived. I feel hungry all the time. And for some men, and this showed up whether a man was in a relationship or not. So about 45% of survey respondents were in a relationship. 45% were single. 10% were some other. I'm separating. It's complicated. Just other, other category. And this was true for a lot of the men that were in relationship as well as I want more. I need more. And I think there's a lot of connection issues in our culture for men. A lot of men are just really disconnected and lonely and isolated. And so connection with their woman and physical intimacy is one of the only places in their lives where they're getting that connection. So that is a big missing for them when it's not there. And for single men, you know, arguably it's even worse. I think it's it's hard because being lonely in a relationship is almost lonelier than being lonely when you're on your own. But either way, loneliness sucks. And feeling that that lack or that deprivation is a big deal. But as far as the insecurity, what I found was really interesting was that premature ejaculation and erectile dysfunction, I mean, millions of men are facing facing those. And what I saw and what and what I've worked with with some of my clients on is that it can actually prevent men from even going after sex at all. So if I'm a man who has trouble getting it up or doesn't feel, if I don't feel like I'm totally in control of my erection, I can have this sense of like, there's an attractive woman, but what's the point? If I, if I go out with her, we go on a few dates and then we're going to end up in the bedroom at some point. And if I can't perform, I'm going to feel even worse than I do now. So what's the point? That really breaks my heart because it feels like there's an interruption in the natural flow of, of love and of connection and just of, interaction because it's kind of like, well, I'm going to get here. And if I can't perform in a certain way, then what's, what's even the point? And I think that a couple of things, one, I have personally in the clients I have worked with seen multiple men overcome that, right? They, they used to have premature ejaculation or whatever it is, they worked on it. Now they don't. I've seen it multiple times. But also I think Part of what I specialize in is helping people have these conversations. So I've coached men on, you don't have to wait until you're in that moment. You know, you can, you can be on a date. And this is something that I train men on is talking about sexy time before sexy time. Like, Hey, this is really edgy for me to bring up. And I'm trying something new because in the past I haven't communicated about sex at all. And you know what? That's done really poorly for me. So I was wondering if you'd be up for a conversation. Just a brief conversation about sex doesn't mean we have to have it. I just have a few things on my heart that I'd like to share and have you know, and I'd love to hear anything that's on your heart around it, for example. And for a lot of the men that I work with, there's kind of this like light bulb moment where they're like, oh my God, I'm allowed to do that? 
Like I'm allowed to actually have a conversation before we're there. And what I have coached them on, particularly around insecurity, right? Premature ejaculation, all these things is to say, for example, I just need you to know, I find you very attractive. I think you're super sexy and I would, I would love to hook up with you. And sometimes my cock is a little shy. You know, sometimes it takes him a little while. He's got to feel safe. You know, it's got to be the right moment or whatever to let her know. Sometimes it takes me a while to get hard. And it's not that you're not beautiful. Because I think there's something really skillful about including that. Because I think for a lot of women, we get scared that it's us. Like, oh, he's not getting hard because I'm not hot enough. Or he's not, you know, able to to perform because because I'm not a superstar. Like, because I'm not, you know, the hottest thing ever. So it's helpful to include that. But it's also kind of relaxes the man's system to know that he's being proactive so that he can calm down and relax and say, like, she knows. It's not it's not a big a deal. I don't need to feel like I have to perform or I'm going to lose this connection because she's already opting in. You know, if she if she hangs in there for that conversation, which every man I've ever coached on this who's actually done it, the woman has been like, oh, wow, thanks for telling me. Like, this is really great. It's such a breath of fresh air to have a man leading these conversations. And I'm very passionate about that, about helping men be the ones to lead and to elicit, to coax her truth forward because it is so hard for us to share. Also sharing his truth can really help just kind of calm everything down. Like, okay, now I'm going into sexy time, like excited. So I'm like, maybe I'll get hard, maybe I won't, but I'm already accepted before the fact. And that can really change the encounter. So many great points that you brought up. I think kind of like sharing about the possible struggle or my cock is shy. I think it can add another level of vulnerability that which on its own, it's very sexy. My husband grew up with a home filled with men. And he's told me like the biggest secret I learned from our relationship is like vulnerability is the sexiest thing that you can share with your partner. And I know many men, they don't know. Like, so if you're putting it out there, like it just actually can be more connected versus people think about like my partner would think less of me. And as you said that with the clients, I recommend like putting it out there and talking about it up front. They have more chances of having a successful encounter because as we know one of the main erection killer is stress so if you're sitting there thinking about oh my god what if i don't get an erection if i don't get an erection i can almost guarantee that you will lose the erection you're not gonna get it so <laughs> that's how unfortunately our brain works yeah. and i think you brought up another point about physical intimacy and sexual intimacy and i think for couples or people that are dating if you have issues with performance, you're avoiding physical intimacy, even if that's something that you have and your repertoire, because you kind of scared that will lead to sexual intimacy. Therefore, then you're going to get embarrassed. So I think that's also something that can be challenging for people. So from kind of vulva owners' perspective, they were they worried about how long their partner were kind of hard like what there was that one of the complaint that my partner is ejaculating too quickly was that one of the complaint they had that was pretty rare but it did come up and again it wasn't so much about the actual fact that it was happening it was more like we've talked about this in our relationship and nothing's like you're not addressing it we're not I don't I'm not seeing anything going on about it and so I feel like I'm kind of alone so it wasn't so much the sexual issue. It was, we're not, nothing's happening a, a, around this, right? So, and I think it's important to note that all of these are addressable. All of the, all of the sexuality 
all of these sexual, quote, issues for men. Again, I've seen repeated lots of men overcome them. So when you actually do get help and when you do address them, you can you can move past them. And I think that's something that a lot of men are afraid of is, what if this is just how my life is? What if this is just forever? What if I'm never... What if I'm never going to get it up the way that I want to? What if I'm always going to have premature ejaculation? And I think there's a sense of fear or overwhelm that can happen for a man where it's like, I don't even know where I would go. I don't even know what I would do, right? And so they're, they're not as empowered about addressing that problem versus other problems in their life where they're like, oh, I'm just going to call someone who knows what they're talking. I'm going to hire an expert and they're going to help me and then it's going to work. And I guess I just wanted to say there are experts and they can help you and it can work. So it's not, you know, this overwhelmed thing. But I think that's really what the women were talking about was more that that sense of of the man's helplessness around it and kind of burying his head in his in the sand and not wanting to look at it and not really listening. Like, I think their main complaint was more like not feeling heard rather than the actual sexual part. That makes sense. It does make sense. And I know many people have this idea watching porn leads to premature ejaculation. But when in reality, what I've noticed with many of my clients when they, the partner has struggles with ejaculating kind of like the duration that they want, then they, it's easier for them to take care of their kind of sexual needs alone. And that's why they're doing more than that versus kind of partner experiences. So it's not like they have a porn addiction. It's just like they haven't had the conversation that you mentioned that kind of this is a challenge I have. And I think, look, one of the biggest challenge that many women I hear they have is this feeling of my partner is selfish. Right. They, they come and they kind of like leave me hanging versus in reality. I know as sex therapists, we know that people are kind of like dying inside and they're frustrated at themselves. They just don't have the right tool. And the opposite, I hear challenges with delayed ejaculation. I know that we have more clear cut strategies for premature ejaculation and erectile functioning. But what are some of the reasons that might lead to someone having delayed ejaculation? Yeah. That's a great question. In my experience, delayed ejaculation is often about safety, the man actually feeling deeply safe with his partner. And I find that's true of all of the the sexual functioning that we're talking about. I think there's a lot less out there about men's need for emotional safety in relationship. And I think that is partly due to the fact that women are so much sort of less physically safe in the world overall. And so there's less of a discussion about that. But in my work and the men that I work with, emotional safety is a big deal. So his level of safety and trust with his partner is related to all of the sexual functioning. And delayed ejaculation can sometimes be about letting go, really being able to just let go and and trusting that you're going to be held by the person that you're with. And again, this is kind of like, deep, subconscious, unconscious, you might be like, oh, no, I totally trust my partner. There's, there's, there's nothing wrong. And maybe that's true. And in my experience, there's often some kind of element around emotional safety. And another thing I guess I just want to drop into this discussion is sexual trauma. So I would say probably good 25 to 30% of my male clients are survivors of sexual abuse, child sexual abuse. And we know it's one in six boys and one in three girls. So unresolved sexual trauma can show up in all kinds of different ways, including some of the ones that we're talking about. And again, it's not because you're broken. No one is broken. That word came up, especially on the women's side, a lot in my research. It's not that you're broken, but if you have unresolved trauma, that's going to show up as you feeling less safe 
in sexual scenarios. And that can affect how everything is working, right? It's, it's, and that can include something like delayed ejaculation. But in my experience, it has a lot to do with safety and trust more so than the mechanics. And I'd be curious to hear if that's, if you found that in your work as well. I've definitely seen a subset of my clients that they have kind of like this not kind of ability to let go, right? Kind of like I have clients that have told me like, I don't even ask a favor from my wife because I'm on my own. And this is like, I, it's me versus world. And that's, that can, you're right, can lead to kind of struggles with letting go during kind of like sexual encounters and kind of all sorts of kind of like form of, as you said, trauma, different things that remain in our bodies that can also get in the way of people having kind of like the sexual encounters that they want. But I also noticed that like for some people is could be nerve damage or like getting desensitized to certain kind of touches. So sometimes even changing the grip, changing the toy can be helpful. But I think on a bigger scale, I definitely think there is a, relational and psychological component on many of the people that were struggling with delayed ejaculation. Yes. And I, I also think that it doesn't have to take as long as you think that it will take. So I know in our work, you know, we have a, a client who recently had sexual success that he hadn't had before. He was able to get it up when he wanted and, and kind of last longer than he had before. And a lot of that was just about our work together and just talking about his sexual needs more and being more upfront and feeling more in his body, feeling more in his power, feeling proud of his cock instead of afraid of it or what's the word? Ashamed. So I think a lot of my clients have struggled with sexual shame, particularly because they are so aware of how of how sex has been used as a weapon in the past. So they're, they're, they desperately don't want to be that guy, right? So it comes from a place of wanting women to feel safe with them and wanting to be a force of safety and and good in the world. And so there's a lot of shame around like knowing how much rapiness has happened, not wanting to be that has had them kind of close themselves off or feel ashamed of their sexuality or feel like they're dangerous. Like for many of my clients, their biggest fear is that I would be dangerous to a woman, that I would make a woman uncomfortable or feel unsafe, that I would be called a pervert or called creep, called creepy. That's their biggest fear. And so a lot of, of our work is around unpacking that and just helping them come more into a sense of, of power and safety in themselves. And actually that affects how their cock behaves. So sometimes, you know, sometimes it is about the physicality and a lot of times it's about psychology and just the sense of kind of, you know, I'm sorry, you can't see me because it's audio, but sort of sitting up straight, having that straight spine, being proud of who I am. And then moving through the world in that way does affect sexuality and how you show up in that arena. So it was really encouraging to hear his celebration of just like, oh my God, I did it. And it worked and it was great. And in a lot of our work too, we do some breath work. We do breath work with men and kind of help them bring their breath down, right down into their pelvis, down into their hips, into their legs and kind of pushing the energy down instead of kind of up in the chest and the and the face. And that can also help too in, in sexual encounters. And it was just, it was very sweet to hear his celebration, especially given that this has been such a, it's been such a long time that he struggled with this. I agree with you. And I think people, when some people think about sexual kind of like success and challenges, they think it's a small part of someone's experience. But similar to what you were talking about is when someone has a sexual success, it transfers in how they carry themselves in the world, at work, in relationship, like overall a kind of sense of self, which can be very 
empowering. So I definitely recommend our listeners. So if there's a challenge, no matter how small, like you're worth it. But they're looking to getting help around those those challenges. So I think one of the things that would be helpful to talk about is about initiating sex. So you said that was one of the concerns that people had and the kind of survey about kind of wanting the partner to initiate more. I definitely see that. And and I and and I know people have the template of what it's supposed to go. I know I have male clients that they think that like I want my partner to start and I'll carry it through and some people want it to be equal. What are some of the founding that you discovered in your research? Yes, this definitely showed up in the sort of top sex problems for men. One of theirs was if I don't initiate, we won't have sex. And I I've been thinking about this a lot lately. One of the things that come up a lot is unleashing her sex kitten, like unleashing her her inner sexual fire, her inner, inner sexual goddess. And what I think I've come to realize more and more and more is that women in our culture are trained from a very young age to be the good girl and to not be a slut. Like, don't be a slut. Don't come across as a slut. And this is still happening. It's subtle and it's not explicit, but it's implicit all the time. And so we were constantly trained and taught to be passive. And then if you, if you watch porn in a lot of porn, the, the, the vulva owner is often quite passive and things are being done to her. Not, she isn't the one initiating and taking action. That, that's not true all the time, but I'd say the vast majority of the time that is the case. So one of the things that I talk about in my course is how to ask winning questions and how to kind of ask for what you want. And I think particularly in partnerships, it can be helpful for the man to lead, again, conversations. And one of the phrases I teach is, I think it would be so sexy if, I think it would be so sexy if you initiated sometimes and it was a total surprise to me. Or I think it would be so sexy if, fill in the blank, whatever it is, because it's sort of inviting. It's not saying... I need you to do this or else I'm leaving you. It's not an ultimatum. It's an invitation. And I think that's something that a lot of men, I think men have a lot more power than they think in their relationships about kind of coaxing her forward. So again, there's a lot of fear on our side embedded in us that if I'm forward or if I take action, I will come across as slutty. He won't want me anymore. He won't respect me. And this is true even in long-term relationships or I'll get rejected. And I know we're all afraid of rejection and men are definitely afraid of rejection as well. But I think that men aren't afraid of being shamed in the same way of being told that they're too much. I think because the the onus of responsibility has fallen on them to initiate kind of like, well, this is my role. This is what I'm, quote, supposed to do. So the fear of rejection is around being turned down for sex, not around, I can't believe you you would want it or I can't believe you're being so forward. It's like, well, I'm sort of supposed to be forward. So that makes sense. Whereas I think for a lot of, of women, there's a, there's a specific training we have to overcome to like initiate. And I have seen that be very successful in, in the couples that I work with of having him basically give her positive reinforcement of, I thought it was so sexy the other night when you just took your top off. So there's, there's a lot of kind of telling someone what you think would be sexy and then really giving them positive reinforcement when it happens. But that's definitely related to the hunger, right? That that part about, I feel like as a man, if I don't initiate sex in our relationship, it would never happen. And feeling, and feeling hungry, right? Feeling kind of desperate 
and feeling like, like, I can't tell you the number of my clients who've said things like, well, I've never turned her down. Why would she be scared of initiating with me? And it's like, we don't have to be rejected to be afraid of being rejected. Like, being afraid of, re- like, fear of rejection is just a human thing that's there all the time. But I've seen a lot of progress in in my clients, at least, around talking about it and also the man standing in his power more. And I don't, I'm not just talking about sexually. I'm talking about the kind of nice guy syndrome, which you probably see in your work as well, of men who are in kind of a please and appease pattern with their partner, where they're kind of deferring to her, they ask for permission a lot, or they're kind of, they're in a dance with their, with their partner that doesn't tend to lead to hot sex. And what I've seen repeatedly over time is that as they, as, as we work together and they build that power, general power, not just sexual power, they're, they're standing upright, they're in their spine more, they feel more supported by, by men in their life. We do a lot of work with men bonding with men so that they feel that supportive community at their back. Then their woman wants sex from them in a different way, right? Then it's like, oh, now I'm feeling that that spark or that polarity. And so she's initiating more. And then there's a virtuous cycle of he's like, oh, this is great. Like, this, this is what I've been wanting. And then he gives her positive reinforcement. I thought that was so sexy when you did that or said that. And there's this kind of virtuous cycle that happens. So again, I guess the, the biggest message I want to leave listeners with is is hope that I have seen a lot of people in a lot of different circumstances come out of whatever they're struggling with and be like, oh yeah, this is actually way better. Like not struggling with that anymore is actually better. It's not like an illusion that I'll feel better once. Like, no, you actually will feel better once this is addressed. And some of these challenges we're talking about is more systematic. I was thinking about this idea that in a kind of traditional sex script is like the man always wanting sex. They're like sex machines and they have to initiate all the time and there's like woman's job to be kind of like shy and reserve and get courted and that's the script and maybe that works even for traditional couples like in their 20s when you have this raging testosterone but for most people in 40s and 50s and 60s there needs to be this mutual kind of exchange of energy stimulation all of that for buildup of arousal so that if we're following that rigid script, then of course we cannot, we cannot kind of give ourselves permission to initiate if we don't have that raging testosterone in our blood. And then our partner, maybe they want sex, but they're, they're feeling kind of rejected because they feel like what happened that my partner is not initiating. So I like the idea of having conversation about what works for, for people and every couple, they're different and they, what they found sexy is, is different. One thing when you talk about that, I see a lot in my practice, this nice guy syndrome that you're talking about. Many men come to me, they say, my partner tells me to be more assertive, be aggressive in the bedroom, but that's not who I am. And in a way, like they feel like their identity is grounded in this being a nice person, which is fantastic. We love it when men are thoughtful, intentional, kind, but many, many women, they want something to create something different in the bedroom that that's just not exciting for them it doesn't mean like your identity who you are is is not right or there's as you said like you're defective but they want a different energy like it's almost feels like you know i'm in the mood tonight to go to a restaurant like mexican restaurants versus steak there's nothing wrong with steak there's nothing wrong with mexican restaurant but it's just like how i what i crave at nights yes and i i agree a lot of women talk about wanting to be taken 
right? I want to feel like I'm taken and I'm not, I don't have to make decisions. You know, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I really like being like manhandled in bed, like put in this position, put in this position. And it's like this wonderful ride that I'm on. Like I get to be on this like really fun ride. I'm like, this is great. And it is related to power. It's related to power. So the way I think about it is men have kind of like heart energy and cock energy. And a lot of the guys that I work with have like really high on the heart energy. They can bond with people. They can get close to people. They've got lots of friends. They, they, they don't really have a problem with opening their heart or heart, heart energy. Cock energy is more about forward movement for initiating, not just sex, but just initiating in life, drive, power, willingness to be, to be assertive, that, that kind of energy. And it's in, it's imbalanced. It's not imbalanced. And I really think a lot of it comes back to what we were talking about of, I don't want to be that guy, right? So I've moved away. I, I'm not claiming my power. I'm not really in my, you know, willing to go there type thing and take my woman because I haven't really owned that part of myself yet because I don't want to be that guy because I don't want to be rapey. And so there's a, there's a pendulum swing, right? Where they've gone all the way to the other side of, I don't want to be that guy. And for some men, that guy was their dad. Their dad was, was not necessarily rapey, but just forced, too forceful, didn't have an open heart, was making decisions in a way that didn't honor the people around him. Or, you know, maybe it's their father. Maybe they didn't have a dad. There was just no one around and they were around really powerful women. That happens for a lot of my clients too. I'm just, there was no one to, to sort of role model the healthy masculine, healthy masculinity, which does include right use of power. So if you're, if you're hesitating and you're pulling back and you're doing the nice guy thing, you're not going to polarize your partner in the same way. And the way you're going to show up in the bedroom isn't going to be as, yeah, powerful. There's just that word again. So I've found it inspiring in a lot of my clients, with a lot of my clients to kind of reclaim that power and to sort of actually have them get into their bodies in a different way and have a different relationship with, with power, physical power. And I'm talking about Sometimes we'll have guys get punching bags, right? So that they can actually get physical. We talk a lot about being in our bodies in my work and not just thinking about it, but actually doing different things, physical things with the body. And it's pretty amazing what can happen and the kinds of transformations that can happen when that's paired with community, with actual other men that are going through similar things as you, knowing that you're not alone. And kind of moving through that. I don't know if you recommended that book, No More Mr. Nice Guy, but a lot of, I actually, when I worked one-on-one -on -one with men years ago, it was a requirement of coaching was you got to read this book because it has so much gold in it around this, this particular pattern and where it comes from and the history of it and all of that. And it's been invaluable to just help bring awareness to this pattern as well as what, what you can do to, to move past it. And it's not always about sex. So again, sort of, as we were discussing, how we show up in sex has to do with how we show up in life. And the good news is that that means that you can weave the two together. And so when you're doing work around, let's say, boundaries, healthy boundaries, that's actually helping build your power. And that's going to affect how you show up sexually in good ways. So being healthy one way becomes being healthy always. Absolutely. We had the author on the show. I leave the that interview in the show notes because I think that's just the, such a common struggle, at least in the men that I work with, which is mostly cisgender and heterosexual relationships. So I think I definitely recommend that interview and book, as you said, that can help people to unlearn at least 
learn some of the patterns because again, it just sometimes that's what your partner wants. And I, I love that, like you, you were comparing it to being on a ride. Yes. And so even like, I think there's just something so refreshing being kind of feeling that like, okay, I can surrender the power. <laughs> I think many people are looking for that. And I, like one of my friends is just into BDSM and she was, she said like, many people wanted to be a stop. There are not that many people want to be a dog. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I get like similar to what we're talking about. So Milk, I can talk to you for hours. I know we have lots of things in common, but I know you have your own content. You have your own show. So tell our listeners, where can they find you if they're interested to learn more about your content? Yes, I run a podcast also for mostly for cisgender hetero men called Dear Men, How to Rock Sex, Dating and Relationships with Women. And you can find all of my stuff there. And then you can also find my site through my course, Please Her in Bed which is at pleaserinbed.com. That'll just take you to all of my content. And yeah, that's the that's just a streaming course that I teach for men that, that do want to know more about what they should do or what does work for women. And I guess I would just say, I commend you listeners for being here because I do think that there's something, particularly for men who have sex with women, my encouragement would be learn about sex from women, not from porn. So as much as you can, taking things from women who have who have vulvas if that's who you have sex with because it's going to lead you down a kind of a better path. I love that recommendation. I'm interested to learn more about your show. It sounds like a very interesting content and hopefully we will have you back on the show in future and thank you so much for your time. Yeah, it was wonderful. Thanks for having me. I'm so grateful to Melanie for sharing her insights and helping us understand the challenges many face in communicating their sexual needs and desires. Now it's time to turn this knowledge into action. So here's your assignment for today. Find a quiet private space where you can talk to your partner without distractions. We'll get bonus point if you ask them about what time would work for them. Second, begin the conversation gently. It is essential to make your partner feel safe and comfortable. Remember, you are setting the tone for this conversation. And the beginning of the conversation is really, really important. Then clearly express your concerns or desires. Remember, honesty is key here. And then instead of going into this long monologue, listen to your partner's response with love and affection. This is a two-way dialogue. And when you're listening, really listen to them, not necessarily think about what you're going to say next. And then at the end of the conversation, come up with a plan together. Discuss ways to improve communication and enhance your sexual relationship. If the problem is not having enough novelty in the relationship, you can print out our free bucket list and you each can complete it and kind of like compare notes and see if there are things that you both are interested in incorporating. Now for a bit of fun news, we're running a listener's giveaway survey. We value your input and your feedback will help us serve you better. As a token of our appreciation, we're offering you a chance to win a $50 Amazon gift card. It will only take five minutes of your time and three lucky participants will walk away with the gift card. The winner will be announced on our podcast episode in the third week of August. More importantly, it's really helped us to produce a content that's relevant and useful for you. So don't miss out on this opportunity. Enter your name and email 
if you want to win their prize, but if you want to take it anonymously, I also will be super grateful. Thank you again for joining us on this journey to a healthier, happier sex life. Stay tuned for more insightful discussions on our sex bucket list series. Until then, remember to keep the communication lines open and let the spark fly. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.